the subject for the evening talk is love and in this talk with you it will be um, one part of a two-part talk and during the second retreat I will also continue um, on this theme and in this evening's talk with you I would like to explore and spend a little time exploring love, the capacity to love and this human experience that we share and have so much potential with regard to. And then in the uh, second talk, in the second retreat, I would like to speak about the being in love <coughs> and the capacity of human beings to be in love with another person and all that is implied in that. In a way, if we look at what we refer here in a very general way as the spiritual life and the various explorations which are available to us, we could say that it really only has any real significance and meaning for us if out of it, out of the work, out of the intensity of it all, comes love. If it doesn't reveal and release love out of ourselves and out of our hearts, one could very well ask the question, well, what's the use? And it certainly wouldn't be enough for any of us to explore these things together, to receive and learn teachings in the different forms and languages which are used, if it only helped to make us clever, if it only helps to make us more sophisticated and more articulate. And it seems that the teachings really do have to address something much more than that, something which we perhaps cannot easily formulate into words. And thus the teachings need to address something which is difficult to talk about even. I think we as humans have this wondrous capacity for love. I think we sense it very, very well. I think when we look to many of the arts, to music, to poetry, to creative, creative aspects, we constantly hear the message and the communication of the significance of love. Much of our contemporary music, a huge percentage of it, is all about love. And all of that has and does continue to have immense impact on us. And when you and I stop and we look at our lives and the, the experience of our lives, and we ask ourselves, well, what is it that I 
I love to do? What is it that really touches me and brings something out of me which sometimes other things of life don't seem to be able to do? And sometimes it's the kind of forms, shall we say, which we are privileged enough to grace our senses. And for one person, it may be walking in the mountains and just to sense and observe the awesomeness of, of mountains. And it touches something great inside of oneself. For another, it may, it may be to experience the ocean and just to, to feel and sense the ocean. For another, the, the night sky. And so there, there's the kind of accessibility to something which one really enjoys and really loves to see through the eye, <coughs> the contact of the eye with the world around, that the immediacy of the contact brings something out of oneself which one will say to oneself and say to another, I just love seeing this. Really, just some, it does something to me I can't explain and I just love it. And for another person or the same person, we experience <laughs> this wonder of love sometimes through our ears. Music, the sounds, the sounds of the nature, the, quiet, the quietitude. And sometimes there's that gracing through one's ears and it's like it can touch us in an unhindered way. There's no resistance, there's no holding, there's no stiffness of mind. And there's that willingness with ourselves as in our capacity for love to receive from the world around, through the sound, the touch which runs so deep inside, once again, naturally, easily, effortlessly, the feeling of love. Love, listen to this music, love hearing the, the birds on the, on the wing, love the sound of people talking together and enjoying themselves, whatever it might be. And sometimes, similarly with our other senses, with, with the, the sense of smell. And sometimes that sense of smell and loving that sense of, of smell, of the flowers, obviously, of incense, of other forms, in the very receiving of that. Again, it seems to bypass our conditioning, or it bypasses our issues and our problems, and seems to run unhindered, uninterrupted, to the place that touches love. Eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and touch. And sometimes in our exploration of what we respond to in life and what, what, and what we feel gives us a kind of confidence and a capacity just to explore in areas of what touches us in fresh ways. And I remember if I may say, just a couple of um, examples. I remember when I was living in solitude and there was a, a tree outside this uh, cell which was in a, um, a cave and each day I would just give care and attention to looking at this particular tree. And I've noticed 
that the same relationship has formed at home with the plants which I uh, have in my home in, in Totnes. That just seeing the formation of the plants and the nature there, knowing that some of them have come from the tropical rainforests and that they're just living in, in the house, then that one goes home and that kind of touches, touches one. And sometimes one explores in, in fresh ways, you know, just sometimes you just move your hands on the earth. You just let your fingers fi feel the grass. And it just lets oneself experience the wind brushing across the cheeks. And these ordinary, everyday things of our, which make up our life, these, as one of the poets put, tremendous trifles, the most ordinary which you and I take for granted becomes somehow transcendent of its ordinariness. It becomes something other because of this capacity to put self-interest aside and to allow oneself to be touched. Sometimes in our capacity to love we feel and we ex experience at times a great incapacity to love. We don't feel loved and we don't feel we are loving. And we hear a great deal within the context of teachings and the context of situations, the importance of love, but sometimes that quality, that sense for it, simply doesn't occur. <coughs> and we begin to notice the impact of events and of time, which sometimes really hinders it. So if we take a look at our day today, and the touch of our day today, in every moment of our day, there has been, and there is, some factor of a feeling. One can't ever actually not experience a feeling <coughs> in human existence. The very nature of you and I, of body, feelings, perceptions, and thoughts, and consciousness, and the whole of ourselves, sometimes it seems like there is an accessibility to feelings. But that itself is the information of a feeling. It feels like there isn't accessibility to feelings. And I think one of the dangers for us as human beings is that we can become so clever, so clever with words and so clever with knowledge, so clever with our brain that we are in danger, not of the feelings dying, because that's not possible, but living in a way in which the intimacy of our feeling life really occurs unless there is some real impact on us in some way or other, either from the past or the present. You could spend your time here becoming very efficient 
technically in the meditations, doing it precisely with, a, with an order and a discipline and a strictness and it could be following every instruction just as it's been detailed to you and do it all correctly and totally miss everything. Because the mind has got and formed the view that order and precision and correctness and technique orientation exclusively is the vehicle. And one can sit and miss the heart and all that goes with it. Sometimes we wonder, we speculate about our capacity for loving. Not only loving others, but also loving ourselves. Most of the days since we've been here, we've given some time, at least some minutes of the day, to the application of some loving-kindness meditation. Sometimes when you've been engaged in that loving-kindness meditation, <coughs> You've just been hearing the words. The actual registration inside of oneself, at times, simply just doesn't occur. And sometimes one wonders, why is it that I don't feel loving to either to myself or to anybody who is around? And sometimes our attention turns to the past, which we've touched upon a number of times during the days here, and we can very, very easily find ourselves in our conclusion of lack of love in our life, that the blame for this has to come from past and childhood and parents and what others have done to me that have made me like I am. And if they, whoever they are, hadn't done this to me, then I would truly be a loving and kind person. And sometimes when we harden around this view, and it's a very, very, very common view, when we harden around this view, to the degree that we harden and we point the accusing finger, the negative finger, into our past, is, I suspect, to the degree that we harden ourselves from the capacity to love. <coughs> and what happens with us when we look in the past in that way, and we turn our attention to the past, and we blame, and we project, and we generate negativity, we keep imagining that the fault totally and exclusively lies with my mother, my father, my educators, my family, 
my upbringing, my society, and, and we keep generating the negativity in that way. And, and as we keep doing that, again and again and again, we keep imagining it really is that issue. And we don't actually wonder, maybe the relationship to that issue matters more than the event. the relationship to the issue of looking at the past matters more than the past itself. And as long as we keep hardening our heart and we keep drying up there can't be any love. And if there's no love, there's no happiness. So I think in our learning and discovering and rediscovering about ourselves, that we are aware not only of what is old, but the way that we're relating to it. And sometimes in that relationship to it, we hear from ourselves two voices, two quite distinct and different voices when we look at a situation at another. Sometimes what we hear is the hard voice, the judgmental, condemning, critical voice, which is hard. And sometimes we hear and listen to the softer voice, the voice that little bit deeper inside of us, which gives a little bit of intimation that knowing that what has happened to us in our life and what's been inflicted upon us in our life by others is probably related to what has been inflicted upon them. And how can one blame those who have suffered and have been inflicted upon and act out of their affliction? Who in the world is there to blame? <coughs> in recent years there's been a lot of mention and exploration and opening up to child abuse. And I have had, during the 1980s, many, many conversations with people who have been subjected to child abuse. The very important area that people have opened up to and explored. I have also had numerous conversations with people who have engaged in child abuse. Without exception, all those who have engaged in child abuse have been subjected to child abuse. So I think in heart's capacity to be sensitive and aware 
and to understand when, when the teachings speak of non-self, of not-self, then I think it's very important that, that to get the feeling for that means that when we begin to comprehend and understand that, the blaming and the condemnation and the rage directed towards another or others is because we haven't understood the interrelatedness, the widespread factors that make a human being act in the way he or she does. And our blame and our rage doesn't tell us anything about the person, it tells us about our capacity to explore more deeply than that. Sometimes, in our situation here in the hall, we experience a variety, a whole range of different feelings. Not only feelings about ourselves, obviously, but feelings about what others are, what they are like, who are sitting in close proximity. Mostly in life, the people who impact us and affect us most are often the people who are in close physical terms to us. Not always, obviously. In a situation where you are spending your days in close proximity to other people, day in and day out, it's an immense challenge to your capacity, to all of our capacity, to really love each other. It's one thing to love the earth and its fragrance and its wonder. It's one thing to love the ocean and the mountains and the desert and the music and the flowers and the birds. It's something else loving other people. Something else to love people and and it's even more something else for that love to be people, not in the generality of I love people, but the people who are close. That's where our love is necessary. Sometimes in the hall, and I regard here, as I have said previously, not apart from daily life, but the very heart of daily life, one of the most intimate forms of daily life, the whole universe of humanity registering itself here in all the diversity of daily life. But sometimes, <coughs> we have been sitting for a period of time and when it comes to the end of that period there has been a reasonable degree of silences and stillnesses and togetherness and sometimes 
a very small situation, I think, is the indicator of the human condition. Sometimes there is inside of oneself, at the end of a sitting, the wish to cough. Reasonably harmless. <laughs> Somewhat irrelevant event in the whole universe. <coughs> and one is faced in those moments with what is one going to do with the need and the force of the movement and the pressure inside of oneself in its relationship to others. And one might ask oneself, in this situation where there's a movement of force and an expression of it, what is the capacity to love? Sometimes, what we experience is fear. If one coughs, as a number of you have spoken about in the small groups, remember, this just summarizes our life situation in relationship. One says, I don't want to cough. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that if I cough, I'll disturb other people. I'll make other people irritated and upset with me. I'll feel guilty and I'll get depressed. <laughs> and this recycles itself to varying degrees and intensities through human experience again and again and again and one still doesn't understand it. I fear that if I do this I will upset other people. Those people will react against me. I will feel bad about this and I feel bad, I'll go away with my guilt feeling and I'll feel depressed, <coughs> I'll feel unhappy, I'll feel a failure. I feel I can't love. And this sequence, this emotional, psychological sequence in human relationship repeats and repeats and repeats. Aren't we tired of this repeating? Aren't we just exhausted with this <coughs> denial of the capacity to love through fixation in this particular movement? Sometimes a person reacts against that. We have numerous examples in our world of reaction against it. And the reaction may take different forms and it still doesn't show the capacity to love. The person will say to themselves, I don't care, what does it matter? Why should I be afraid of other people if I want to sit in here and cough my guts out? <laughs> then they should just be able to take it. They're supposed to be just listening by now. 
becomes the elevation of self, particularly of the form of self-interest. I don't care about the impact that I make on other people. Because I matter first and last. In one, it's a form of fear and it leads to all that I described. And the other is a form of aggression and self-interest and it leads to pain for others, unhappiness for others and it leads to despair and alienation for oneself. I wonder, in our capacity for love, whether we have noticed in ourselves whether one or the other is playing too big a part in our life. Some people are sitting and in their sitting, their love, in this time, and in these moments, and for many of you, and all of you in a certain way, is your love of silence. This wondrous and precious life element with its immense capacity to transform human beings to, from something old and unsatisfactory to something new and miraculous is something that perhaps we don't give or allow ourselves the capacity to love. We get so preoccupied with this and that that this element of silence and the transforming power of it in a mystical way is something that is kind of neglected and forgotten. But sometimes in the quietitude of the hall, the feeling, not with thinking, but the feeling of love for silence begins to emerge. Really love the moments of silence. And sometimes one feels there's a, 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 a palpable silence in the hall. It's, it's, it's as tangible as the flowers and the earth and the temple and human beings. Recently, that is in recent years, I have been meeting with a number of um, people who I regard as doing some wonderful work, loving work in the world. Still working and dealing with personal history, the various movements of the mind which inhibit love, and one of the people, and amongst these people I met and interviewed, made a tape-recorded interviews with about 30 people over the last few years. And 
One of the people who I interviewed was a person named Liana Buganzi. Her son, Mauro, who lived in Rome, is a very um, dear and close friend of mine for quite a few years, since the 70s. And his mother had cancer. It began with one breast, then went to another, then there was a, a, a period of apparent freedom from the cancer, and then the cancer came back. And I, on my visits to Rome, would go to see the family, and to see Mauro and talk with Fliana. And I made this interview, and it was one of a number which were put together um, recently. Henrietta uh, greatly assisted me, and a small London publisher put this collection of interviews together. This one, and what I would like to do, if I may, is just <coughs> read a couple of pages <coughs> of the communication, the exploration, which I made with this particular woman. It was engaged in her apartment, the family's apartment in Rome, and at times in our talking together, we talked two or three hours together, there would just be lovely times of just quietitude and, and, and silence, in which the words themselves, though wonderful to share and to listen to, somehow didn't communicate some other communication, some other silence. So we, we talked together. And in this talking together, she records, this is Fliana. I suffered a lot when my husband lost his job. I felt hurt by a great sense of humiliation. All my life I've been helping others with a somehow blind sense of self-mortification, without really taking care of myself. So whenever, whenever I happened to suffer in life, I did not feel any responsibility for what was going on. I thought it was an, in, sorry, I thought it was an external accident which had nothing to do with me. So I had to bear it patiently, surrounded by a halo of sanctity. I thought I was extremely righteous. Absolute honesty and morality were my favourite virtues. Everything had to be perfect in me, especially as a wife and mother. And then I ask, and what did the cancer tell you? She replied, <coughs> that it was all wrong. It gave me the possibility to see life and other people through different eyes. First we began with the relationship to the cancer and the operations. Then together we inquired, this is through friends and uh, Dharma teachers and retreats and therapy. Then together we inquired very deeply into my childhood, especially my relationship <laughs> with my parents and the problems that I had as an illegitimate child. Then we inquired further into more recent problems, for example, being like a puppet with a mask on my face all the time. I could gradually see images of myself and of my life collapse, leaving a free space. 
I tried to find new interests in life. For example, I had no plants or flowers in my house. And now my home, and at this point she began crying, I remember this very clearly, and she said, and now my home is full of plants and flowers. Do you know, I asked, about how many you have? Dozens, plus six more trees outside. The cancer is still present, and she's, the person is dying, remember. The cancer is still present, I asked, and you are replacing it with new life around you. Yes, that is true. It is like there is a workshop inside of me where I have the most pain. And from that place, especially when the pain melts down, a lot of compassion comes. Compassion for me, for others, for anybody who is suffering. It is a workshop where pain and fear turn into love for every single being who is suffering. And I feel surrounded by lots of love. Do the I ask, do the strong memories of childhood have any impact on the body? Yes. I can remember an image of my mother when she was very young and beautiful. That image gave me great happiness and also physical strength. Well, I ask, why did the image give you that? You said earlier that your mother died from cancer. Up to that moment, the image which had remained in my mind was of my mother being sick and weak, needing help which I was unable to give her. So a fresh image of my mother, young and beautiful and full of strength, gave me strength in myself as well. I said, this is, I said, this is very important. As you came fully into the present, you brought more life into your home as expressed through the plants, that transformation also transformed your memory. Yes, the image of that unhappy, weak, sick child that I thought I was too has dissolved without giving me any more problems. Understand? She actually related to the present, worked with the pain, allowed the love to come into her. Her whole way of looking at the past was equally transformed without all the working out. The transformation of the old came through the present. As you see more life, I said to her, as you see more life in the present, you see more life in the past. She said, yes, it's like that. And I found again all the beautiful things in the past that I hadn't been able to appreciate. I saw very clearly the little child that I was. She said, now I have grown up into love and appreciation for a human being's face, for a little animal, for whatever. Now there is joy. And then, she, then when we came to the la last period of the interview, she's, I said to her, You've had cancer since you were in your late thirties. You experienced its reoccurrence and now it is brain cancer. There is a transformation of a totally threatening, life-threatening situation and it's become an instrument for life affirmation. 
From the talking with you, you have gone from fear to gratitude. She said, the love comes free and surrounds me at the most difficult and most painful moments. For example, when my mind was dull and confused because of the brain cancer and radiation treatment, I would wake up early in the morning at about five o'clock and waves of tenderness caught me and tears flew out of my eyes without knowing why. Sweet, very sweet tears. Then I used to think of all the people that were dying or wanted to die, but couldn't. I would think of all the people who felt they were not loved. Then I tried with all my heart to send them love so that they could feel this love that surrounds all of us. This love which is freely available and comes to us as a benediction if only we let ourselves go. Some months later, I received a telephone call from Fliana, from Fliana's um, son, Mara, to say that uh, his mother had died. And I asked Mara how it was with regard to the very end the very last days and uh, hours. And his res response to me was, he said, he told me that she was even more radiant and serene than the day I had spent with her. He said she had died with, quote, an innocent smile. And I think that situation of this uh, woman is a remarkable expression and one of many in our world where a woman or a man in the face of the, a most painful form of death where the body was riddled with cancer where there was brain cancer can have this capacity for love and to be able to transform a nightmare into something quite transcendent. And I think that, in a way, expresses in life the very beautiful and precious thing of life. And it might be appropriate for some people to explore their past and to look into things and to look into the patterns of time and the way that we have been con conditioned. But I have immense faith in the capacity of the present. and that wholehearted commitment to the present. A wholehearted commitment which can say at the end of a sitting or in the middle of a sitting or at the beginning or outdoors or whatever, in this particular situation, in this particular moment in my life, what is the expression for me of the capacity to love? What's, what's the manifestation of that? What's the revelation of that? And I think through the very small, small gestures, we express something rather divine. And if in some way or other, methods and techniques and forms and structures and teachings help just a little bit to point us in towards those revelations of love, 
And if for just one moment in our whole life we are touched by that love, I think all of this will have been worthwhile. If for a single moment a human being feels that love which cannot be measured. May all beings be in touch with themselves. May all beings be in touch with life. May all beings abide with the capacity to love. <coughs> well, let's share a couple of quiet minutes together, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.